Good morning. How's everybody doing? Merry Christmas. Good deal. Well, uh, my name is Kyle Leffel. I'm a member here of Redeemer Church. Me and my wife have been members here for the last six years. It's great to be with you and and, uh, worship the Lord and celebrate Christmas with you guys. Like Jonathan said, we're in an Advent series right now where we're looking at parts of Scripture and Jesus' life and birth and what that means for us as Christians. Um, And so (laughs) it's a different day. It's a brave new world with no RK. No Redeemer kids here, and so uh, my wife is giving me a look right now about going shorter, and so we'll only be here, and I'll only be talking for an hour, Uh, so (laughs) just kidding. It will be a shorter message today, but um, if you need to use iPads, cell phones, there are encouraged today, Uh, so little shows, little uh, PJ masks, not that I know anything about that, but um, it's a big hit at our our house, Uh, but if your house is anything like mine, uh, this season is a great, joyous time filled with lots of Christmas vacation quotes and Sufjan Stevens and all kinds of uh, worship and Christmas music playing. It's a, it really is the most wonderful time of the year, I would say. Uh, but Christmas is about one thing. I think we could agree on Christmas is really about gift giving. Uh, and, and as funny as that is, I would say it's true. Uh, it says a lot about a person by what gift they give, Right? You can tell the intentionality, you can tell the heart, you can tell the character about a gift, from a gift about a person. And God is no different. And so today I would say we're going to be looking at probably one of the most well-known, iconic passages of Scripture about the incarnation, about the Christmas message. And it really does beg the question, what's God like? And namely, what is his gift to us in humanity? This is a question that humanity, and, and, and from the dawn of time, uh, humanity has been asking, what is God like? There are lots of worldviews, lots of religions, lots of philosophies. But this passage here sets Christianity apart above all else. What is God like? And what is his gift? And that's what we're going to be looking at today. What is God like? And what is the gift that he's given us in Christmas? We're going to stand for the reading of Scripture in Luke 2, 8 through 14. I invite you to stand. We're going to be reading God's word. Luke 2, 8 through 14, if you have your Bible. Luke 2. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that you are a God who stoops low, who comes, who condescends, who, who is our Emmanuel, God with us. Lord, that you have come down and you have not only showed us a way to live, but that you have reconciled you and sinners, God and sinners. And so, God, we're thankful for the gospel. We're thankful for the Christmas message, which is we now have peace with you, uh, that we can know you. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would speak through me. I pray that you would uh, 
enlighten our hearts as to what you want us to know today. God, would you speak through your word and through me? And Lord, would we just be reminded of the Christmas message that, that God, you have condescended, that you have came down and reconciled us to yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Well, we're picking up where Chris left off. Chris left off <clears throat> last week talking about Jesus' humanity, that if, if now is a hard time for you, that above all else, Christ and God can, rec- can empathize with you, understands your pain, understands the frustration that sometimes a Christmas season can bring. And today we're, we're picking up where he left off. And so what we have here is that the glory of the Lord came to shepherds out in the field watching their sheep by night. And that they were greatly afraid. Some, some translations would say they were terrified, frightened. A word that in the Greek emphasizes a level of scared uh, that is beyond measure. Because the glory of the Lord shone to them. But the angel doesn't bring judgment here. He brings good news. And that is the beautiful message of Christmas, the gospel. And so Caesar here is giving a decree, right, for, for, for working backwards, that Mary and Joseph were on their way to be registered. That Caesar was flexing his muscles, saying everyone needs to be registered. And then Herod would later on go and want to find this king of the Jews, that, that we would see that in Matthew. But this, this, is, a, this is a passage that, honestly, I, you could preach on for a long time. You can make two messages out of here, but just for time's sake, we're going to condense this and focus on a couple things. Uh, but this is a very interesting passage, specifically for one reason. Most biblical scholars look, and there's a, three words that are used that up until this point had never been used uh, throughout the Old Testament and even in, in the New. And it's the word uh, soter, which is Savior. It's where you get the word soteriology, which is the doctrine of salvation. Kyrios, which is the Christ or the Messiah. And Lord, which is Yahweh. Those, those words had never been used in a sentence up until this point. And so what Luke is driving home is that this is the one who we've been looking for. This is the one that all of the, all of the promises of God find their yes in. This is, the per- this is the person that all of the Old Testament, all of the Bible apexes towards. The Christ, the Messiah, the Lord. He is driving home this point. Readers would have looked and, and thought of Micah 5.2, which says, But you, O Bethlehem of Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, for me, one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. Promises like Isaiah seven fourteen, which just says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear son, and, shall call you, and you shall call him, call his name Emmanuel. Luke is driving home the point that God is here. Second person of the triune God has entered reality. The ideal has become real. It's, a, it's an amazing thought. That in Psalm 97, 5, uh, the psalmist says, that the mountains melt like wax before you, that he is here. That is an amazing thought. The manger, in the manger, God is here. The enmity with God will be squashed. The seed that in Genesis 3.15 is here, that he will crush the serpent's head, but he's gonna come in the form of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths. You know, for us, it's very easy to look at the Christmas message and say, wow, what a narrative, what a story. Look how God enters reality. But for these people, this, this, would have been a, this would have been quite a different thing. Maybe a stumbling block. For instance, when, when, when the angel says, this is going to be a sign for you, this is a very interesting thing. God was accustomed to giving signs. For instance, in Eli, in, for Elijah, when he, 
when he was battling the false worshipers of Baal, he said, my God can lick your God. Put yours to the test and I'll put mine to the test. And so they offer sacrifices to Baal and nothing happens. But then Elijah calls, down, calls upon Yahweh and Yahweh brings fire. And it not only consumes his sacrifices, it consumes the entire altar. When Moses says in Mount Sinai, I want to see you. I want to know who you are. Show me your face. God says, you can't see my face. You'll die. But hide in the cleft of a rock and I'll pass by and an earthquake happens. For Jews, when they were passing through the Red Sea out of their exile, when all hope is lost, he literally parts the Red Sea. God was accustomed to doing signs, but this sign, a baby. Very interesting. Why? Luke is, is creating a tension, I believe. Or, or God, more importantly, is creating a tension. He mentions David. Now, that's not an arbitrary term. Why is Luke mentioning come from the city of David? Because they knew that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. David was the most regarded and well-known king out of Israel. He is, even with his affair and even with his moral failures, he's regarded as the greatest king to rule Israel, the anointed one. They knew he would come from him. And for Jewish people who were under the thumb of Roman rule, they were looking for a Messiah who would take them out of that bondage. They would restore the kingdom of Israel. But Jesus would later on say, no, my kingdom is not of this world. It's very interesting I'm looking for a savior, for a Messiah to get me out of the bondage of Roman rule. But that's not how Jesus came. He would actually be subject to Roman rule. He comes to shepherds, right? It says the angel of the Lord came to shepherds. Why shepherds? Shepherds at this time were of the most, one of the most low social economic status as possible. They weren't allowed to vote. They were regarded as even, some would say, sinners, unclean people, because they dwelt among sheep and We know through history, even Egyptians would look at sheep as just useless, worthless animals. Why would he come to shepherds? Why would he come to people of low status? If this is the most highest theological statement, if ultimate reality has entered our life to save us from our sin, call the people of power. Call the political elite. Call the people who are going to be a mass marketing uh, agent. But he doesn't. He comes to low people. Not a great... Uh, marketing strategy. Uh, The late great theologian of our time, uh, and you'll know him in Christmas Vacation, Cousin Eddie, he would probably say, you serious, Clark? (laughs) Like, why? Why? How are you doing this? What are you doing? The most life-altering news in existence, highest of all theological statements, to the most lowly of people. God has a fitting word for us, I think, by doing this. Where strength, in our culture, where strength is applauded and weakness is merely a defect, humility is merely a misfortune, God has a fitting word for us of what it means to not only pursue glory, but really what glory is altogether. In our day, everything is about, in society, everything from a superficial level is contingent upon how much you make, what's your job, what you drive, what's your income status, uh, where, who, who do you hang out with? Uh, very much on a social, superficial level. Because that's what it means to be top in the world's eyes, right? You're driving the nicest, you're wearing the coolest, you're hanging, hanging out with the most elite. And, and actually, you, you would see this in most uh, business startup books. One of my friends reminded me, he, he said in our CG, he said, you know, most startups, most startup books would say, if you want to go to the top with your business, you need to, sh- you need to cut away the chaff. People who are going to bring you down, 
people who don't share the same vision, people who can't cut it at work, let them go because you're going to the top and you need to associate yourself with people at the top because that's what it means to be at the top, top dog, right? And then comes Jesus, right? The world would say, if you want to meet me and if I'm going to be at the top, meet me there because that's where I'm going. But the person who has ultimate power, sovereign, omniscient, omnisatient, omnipresent, comes down and he doesn't say meet me at the top he actually says meet me at the bottom why this is a very interesting thing think about think about jesus's life uh no world religion starter no world religion starter's life ever comes close to looking like jesus's life he was born in a feeding trough wrapped in swaddling clothes later on in his life in john 13 he has a he has a cloth wrapped around his waist and he stoops down and washes his, his disciples' feet. In those days, you didn't look so much, if you wanted to be educated, you didn't look so much for a university as you did a rabbi. And if the rabbi thought you had the goods, come on down. And the rabbi could do anything with you. He would ask you to do anything. So if you wanted to go get him a meal, he would say, go get me a meal. Because you had to prove your clout. You had to prove that you were worthy to be under his tutelage. But there's one thing that he would never ask you to do. Wash disciples' feet. Because it was that low. No one washed someone's feet. Only if you had sold yourself into slavery or something like that. It was, it was that low of a posture. But Jesus comes and says, no, I come. He actually says even to Peter, if I don't wash you, you have no place with me. Born in a feeding trough, washing disciples' feet, and then dies. Not, next, not in a coffin where there's a celebrity. We just... We just mourned the, the passing of, of George Bush. And you saw all of these political powers coming in. People even from different uh, political positions coming in and saying words of encouragement and respect. But Jesus dies, <laughs> who is the most honorable one, dies next to people who were robbers and murderers, who were guilty, and he was innocent. Why? Caesar's flexing his military power and his political power, saying, Everyone must be registered. I will find this king of the Jews. But the ultimate one who has complete power is saying, no, I'm going to come in the form of a baby to assert Caesar. What is that? I, I have a baby. Uh, his name is Shepherd, pun. Um, and he is five months old, and he is super cute, and he probably will yell. Maybe he is yelling right now. Who knows? Um, and... Uh, the words that I would describe him are beautiful, but weak, needy, dependent. And yet God entered in and took on those characteristics. I believe what he's doing is it's a reversal of how we think glory should come and what glory is. God is teaching us the difference between the kingdom of this world and the one to come. In this world, the way you go up is to actually go up, to go up, right? But in God's kingdom, the way up is down. That's what he's teaching us. Glory is to actually go down. Before, before glory comes humility. This is the kingdom of God. Our world would say glory and never humility. Or humility if you can bypass it or, or try to avoid it. But in God's kingdom, it's humility, then comes glory. Listen to what Matthew 5 says. Matthew 5, 5 says this. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Meekness is something our cultural, culture knows nothing of. The first will be last and the last will be first. He says that in Mark ten thirty one. James 4, 6 says, God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. 
Luke 9, 24 through 25 says, humble your, or I'm sorry, James 4, 10 says, humble yourself before the Lord, and in due time, he will exalt you. It's interesting, I was, uh, me and my wife, we love the show Parenthood. It's on Netflix. It's kind of our uh, guilty pleasure. It's a great show. Um, no one knows it, so I guess it's not. Um, but if there's a character who says, I lost sight of who I was, and I need to find myself. I need to find out who I really am. I need to find myself to be happy. What that word, what that phrase means, I have no idea. But that is a cultural understanding. I need to find myself. But Jesus says, lose yourself to truly find yourself. Deny yourself to really gain what you've always wanted, which is him. You know, if, we, if you scroll down, or if you go down, read down on verse 14, it says, peace with, peace with whom I am well pleased. He uses a word there. The word there, pleased, in there in the Greek is eudakia. And it's interesting, because that word in the Greek is only used one other time in Luke 10, 31. And it just says this. This is the NIV translation. It says, at that time, Jesus, full of joy through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. In other words, the gospel, the savior of the world, he comes to shepherds, he comes to little children before he comes to Caesars and Quiriuses. In other words, the gospel comes to those who say, I'm a sinner and I need a savior and I need this baby born in a manger. And it's not a stumbling block that the world, the king of the universe, the Lord of glory comes and condescends in the form of a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths because I need that baby. The question the gospel and this story forces us to ask is, do you, do I, do I need this baby in the manger or is this just sentimentality? The gospel would say, no, this is an absolute need. Comes to people who say, my savior, my Christ, my Lord is in a feeding trough and he is my hope and my joy and my king. This is, a, this is an altogether countercultural uh, usurping what we believe glory should be like. He is coming in a totally different way. But why? It seems like that's just a lot of, what's the, what's the reason? That seems just like a lot of, a whole lot of going down and condescending just to show us a reversal of greatness. Is that really it? Yes, but it's more than that. Why did God come the way he did? This is the, ultimately the one reason why he comes. Why? Is it because Caesar decreed and Mary and Joseph couldn't find an, a room in an inn and then had to go to a manger? Was he born into poverty because of just misfortune? Did he go to the cross because it was a, a sham of a trial? No. The way Jesus came, the way he came, the way he lived, the way he died is not because Caesar decreed it. It's because God has decreed it. Everything from Caesar's decree to not finding a room in an inn to being born in a manger is not because Caesar decreed, but because God decreed it before the foundation of the world. Jesus, the second person of the God, Godhead knew what his mission was. This is why he came, not only to glorify the Father, but for our joy, the scripture says, for our joy. I bring you good news of great joy. Christmas time is, is news of great joy insofar as that you understand who is in the manger. John 17, to prove this point, John 17, four through five says, I glorify, this is a high priestly prayer. Excuse me, let me back up. Where he says, 
He's about to go. He knows the weight, the anxiety of what he's about to incur. But he says, not my will, but yours. And in John 17, four through five, knowing that he did everything for the sake of the glory of the Father, he says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. There's a part in Acts 17 where, where Paul is giving a sermon, one of the greatest sermons to the Athenians. He says, God does not dwell in temples, nor is he, nor is he helped by human hands as if he needed something. This is all part of the plan to go down, but it's a plan that involves your and I's salvation and our joy. Isn't that good news? Man, that's good news for me, and I hardly believe it. I hardly believe it. He says it in verse 10, for I fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. Is our life characterized by a joy? You know, in a world with so much anxiety and chaos, just turn on the news. Scripture says that the people of God should be a people of peace and joy. This is a great reminder during the Christmas season. So to answer, but I know that Christmas, not to be redundant with what Chris said last, last week, but Christmas time is hard for, for some of us. For some of us, it's great. Um, get to hang with family, celebrate, really reflect on all that God has done for us and the gifts that we oftentimes take advantage of. But for some, someone is not here who should be here. Or I just got an illness that is rocking my world. Or there is family division that you know nothing of that's so hard. There's a myriad of things that are hard in life, and Christmas seems to exacerbate that. But like Chris said last week, man, only Jesus knows your pain. Only Jesus can empathize with what's going on and where, the, where your heart is right now. There's a quote that is a, man, it is a hammer of a quote by Dorothy Sayers. Uh, she was an Irish Christian playwright, but she just says this, for whatever reason God chose to make man as he is, limited in suffering and subject to sorrows and death, he had the honesty and the courage to take his own medicine. Whatever game he is playing with his creation, he has kept his own rules and played fair. He can exact nothing from man that he has not exacted from himself. He has himself gone through the whole of human experience and from the trivial irritations of family life and the cramping restrictions of hard work and lack of money to the worst horrors of pain and humiliation, defeat, despair, and death. When he was a man, he played the man. He was born in poverty and died in disgrace and thought it well worthwhile. Why? For you, for me. What's God like? There's a poem that I love. It just says this. Seek not in courts or palaces, nor royal curtains draw, but search the stable. See your God extended on the straw. Man, what a reminder. What's his gift, though? Let's wrap up. What is his gift? What is the, what's, what's God's great gift? We see what God's like, but what is his gift? Man, it is peace with God. That is good news. Peace with God. Uh, every Christmas, my dad... I'm all, my, I always have to ask my dad, what, what does he want for Christmas? And if you know my dad, which none of you do, he would be like a combination of Michael Scott from The Office, forged with Red Foreman from this set 70s show, and that's my dad. And so I'm, I go, Dad, what do you need for Christmas? This is what he has said the last p- past three years. Give me a pair of socks. What? Okay, no. I'm like, Dad, no, I'm not going to give you a pair of socks. Give me a pair of undies. Great visual, Dad. Thank you. Um, 
And to this year, I kid you not, I said, Dad, what do you need for Christmas? He says, I'll tell you what I need, Kyle. I need an electric pencil sharpener. <laughs> One, save some trees, buy a mechanical pencil. Two, who, who uses what? Man, maybe I'm just offending someone, but I just don't use wooden pencils. I don't say, where's the pencil sharpener? I just get a mechanical one and do one of these things. But, but it, it, it just, he's always asking me, just get me something I need. I, this, I don't want anything. I just need this. This is something I need, right? And maybe that's, that's, maybe that's what it's like for you for Christmas. I just tell people can get me what I need. But in our culture, there's a lot of things that try to convince us we need this, right? Do I really need the new Lexus, a Scion, whatever, you know, that came out the commercial? Do I really need a new ring from Jared? Do I really need this? Do I really need that? It's really hard to know. What do you really need in Christmas? Begs the question. Uh, you know, yeah, what do you really need? There are multiple options that we think will bring us peace. The next Apple product, the next piece of furniture, maybe a, a, a relationship that's restored. But the reality is none of those will bring you peace, ultimate true peace. And it's difficult because we give our life and we buy these things, but then December 26th comes and you feel the joy start to wane. That this isn't bringing me peace like I thought it would. This car, this piece of clothing, whatever it may be. What's going to bring you peace? You know, if you're familiar with the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, there was a saying about Narnia that it was always winter, but never Christmas. And that's oftentimes what it feels like to put your hope and your life into things that you can get for Christmas or in something that is not the baby in the manger. What do you need most of all at Christmas? The Bible says peace with God. That is our most important need of all. For me, for you, for every single descendant from Adam, every single one, we need peace with God. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5 gives us our plight. It says this, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. Our greatest need in this life, our biggest problem has been taken care of. Do you and I believe that? That's the good news. But through the baby in the manger, eventually the man on the cross comes peace with God. Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, if you're a Christian in here, the Bible says that peace comes to those who he is well pleased. Why is God pleased with us? Is it because we're in church? Is it because we're moral? Is it because we don't do those things? Is it because whatever reason? No, it's because of the baby in the manger who would go to a cross and accomplish peace with us. If, if there really is understanding, no, God's pleased with me because I'm a good person, then really what we're saying is that God is really not as holy as he says he is. And I'm not as sinful as, I, as the Bible says I am. And therefore, I really don't need a savior, a soter, a kyrios, a Christ, and the Lord. But that's not the message of the gospel. The gospel says that there is nothing that I could do on my own to get right with God, but that God has done it for me. And that's what the Christmas message is, that he has brought peace, he has accomplished peace with God, so that you guy can know him. That is, that is beautiful, beautiful news. So believers, we must remember that our greatest problem in life is taken care of, that God provides peace with God. I find that I believe that, but I don't believe that. That's not true of my life a lot of the time. Uh, John 14, 27, Jesus says this, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, 
do I give it to you? Let not your hearts be troubled, neither, let's, neither let them be afraid. I want that peace. How do I have that? I think it comes back to remembering the gospel. The angels came and said, fear not, I bring you good news. Fear not, good news. Those are tied together. If I want peace in my life this Christmas season, I must remember the gospel. I must remember what Christ did. And if you're in here and you say, I don't know where I am spiritually. I don't know if I'm a Christian. I don't know what I believe about all this Christianity Bible stuff. I would encourage you to look at the manger, to look at the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths, the news, the good news, and to see how far God has gone to have a relationship with you. The manger, the point of the manger is always the cross, like Chris says. And that's the good news. That's what we need, peace with God. Do you want peace? We must look to the Prince of Peace who experienced agony so that you and I could have his peace. Isaiah 9, 6 says this, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's good news for us today. That's what the Christmas message is about. We're gonna enter in a time of the Lord's Supper. Jesus gave this meal to his disciples. This meal is not a universal meal, but it's, reverse, it's reserved for Christians. It's reserved for people who say, I need this baby in the manger. I want him. He is my life, my hope, my joy, and I want to know him more. Believers, you're invited to come and share in this meal by breaking off a piece of a bread and dipping it into the cup. We offer both juice and wine. Take as your conscience leads you. The wine is in the glasses marked with twine or string. And if you're not a Christian, again, this meal is reserved for believers. But it's an opportunity to trust in Christ, to say, I want this peace. I want to trust in you. If you'd like to pray or talk with someone, there'll be elders and uh, prayer responders in the back. They'd love to talk with you and pray with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for revealing your truth in the way that you came to little children, to shepherds, to sinners who need you, who want you, who say you're my only hope. Um, God, we thank you for coming down taking the form that you did, living the life that you did, and dying the way that you did for us so that we could have peace with God. We love you, Lord. Uh, let us help us to remember you in taking the bread and wine. It's in, it's in your name we pray. Amen.